Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello, my friends. I hope everybody's doing well. Boy, is it nice, nice weather in Denver. Looking forward to spring. Um, I'm not a fan of the heat because uh, I'm already warm-blooded and I get hot so easy. It's pitiful. (laughs) But, um, you know, having said that, I could really use a little bit of rain. We all wish for something, right? And in that wish, as I've been working on my caregiver support tool that I'm building, my virtual reality, which, by the way, is coming along nicely, uh, I got to see the first prototype of it with my avatars this past uh, yes, uh, this past week. And I'm thinking about all the conversations I've had with care partners, caregivers, and how you're dealing with your people. And one of the modules that I'm working on, I'm calling Managing Your Emotions. And so as I've been building it, I've been really going back to all the different in-home assessments I've provided over the years and things that people have told me and uh, how they struggle with working with their person and their acting and Instead of acting, they're reacting and all those kinds of things. So I sort of made a little list of all the things that they have problems with, like agitation, easily agitated, anger, when they don't understand why the person is behaving a certain way, when they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, when they're asking repetitive questions, when they just plain don't have any education around how to build a strategy and use techniques to help you. So I see all these different things that people are going through, and that causes anxiety. I mean, it just... We get so much anxiety over, you know, what is happening to the person and how they are um, progressing and why is this happening. And today I was at a funeral of a client and the person who passed away, her sister, uh, no, I'm sorry, her daughter-in-law was there at the funeral. And she had left the person who passed away's son, which was her husband, at home in California because he has advanced Alzheimer's. We knew this a couple of years ago just because of some of the ways he was behaving that didn't seem rational when we were moving his mom into a care community. And, you know, the the, the writing was on the wall. But she was telling me about some of his symptoms, and I swear, it just blows my mind on a regular basis that I go all the way through 
from the minute I meet a family that has somebody in the early stages or they call me when the family member can't cook for themselves, isn't taking a shower or, you know, all those kinds of things. And I was reminded today by the daughter of the woman who passed away that I told her that she wasn't alone and that I would be there with her this entire journey. And, you know, I I tell people that. I, I do because I even when, you know, they're they're at home, I try to give them some of my caregivers to come into the home and work with them. Sometimes that'll last a couple of years or the person can live on their own for a little while or they end up moving in with a daughter or son or a friend or somebody and, you know, I'm called back for a second opinion, you know, second in-home assessment and so on and so forth. And then eventually, you know, I take them around to a couple of, uh, you know, person-centered care places and, and help them with choosing a place. And then once they get to that place, um, I invite their family members to be in a support group with me, um, even more previous than that. And then I call and check on the person on a regular basis. And that's how I found out the woman died. I called to see how she was doing. And I run down the list of my people at that particular community. And they say, oh, on Friday, uh, Margie passed away. So, you know, there's, there's just this strange feeling that comes over me when... I meet someone and they're well. And then I go through six, seven, eight years with them. And today I was at her funeral. It happens to me all the time. And at the funeral, the family members will introduce me to somebody who's new on the journey. And they're standing there talking to me, asking me questions. They're like a deer in headlights. They have no clue what's coming up in the future. They're trying to understand why the doctor said you can't bring Margie's son to the funeral uh, from California because it'll be very disruptive for him and, you know, so on and so forth. And it, it just is like a almost like a slap in the face or somebody throwing a bucket of cold water on you when you know you're going to start all over with somebody. And it's really disappointing when it is the son of the woman that I just went through the journey with. You know, it just, uh, it is what it is. I mean, wow. But it, it just blows my mind that it, it, it just keeps going. I, I don't. I just can't believe it. And it, it it's not that it's a bad thing. I want to be here for people. I want to be able to help them through their journeys. But it's just sort of a strange occurrence to literally be at the funeral of someone and get a new client with a relatively fresh diagnosis in a latter stage of the disease process <laughs> or even the early stage. And people kept coming up to me and, oh, 
you know, her da- Margie's daughters told us that we should call you, and and I the I like going to the funerals because I do tell people I'll see them all the way through. But I don't like going to the funerals for that reason. It's not that I don't want new clients. It's just that um, just going over and over and over again, some days it hits me harder than others, that I'm going to have a new family to work with. One of the things that happens there is that I have to re-energize my compassion tank. I I think I always have compassion, but there are times when, you know, I found out that not only did Margie die, but another person, one of my clients died as well. And I found that out while we were at the service for Margie. So I'm like, oh man, two in one day. I, dang. Those kind of things can cause a little bit of Depression, not clinical depression, just basic sadness. You know, it's there's I'll meet people that will say, oh, my wife's going to get better. I know God is going to make her better. My prayers are going to make her better. Oh, my friends, you're going to get mad at me when I say this. But I believe in. Jesus, I do. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Lord. But I've been around this disease for a long, long time. And nobody has gotten better. I'm just kind of thinking this isn't God's deal, right? Uh If you are a believer, you can hope that they will be restored to their healthy self when they die. I like that. I like that way of thinking. I'll, I'll take that all day long. So if we believe that when they die, they are cured of whatever ailed them, beautiful. Uh, of course, I don't see that. What I see is a as a casket or an urn, so that looks pretty final, but that's what faith is all about, right? But, you know, why not? As caregivers, we can, we, you know, I'm not trying to take anybody's faith away, but you're better off learning what you need to learn and educate yourself and get over the embarrassment of the diagnosis and, you know, the hell with stigma. I could not care less about stigma. To me, that was long gone 15 years ago. It's ridiculous. I have it in my family so deep. Even when I reminded Brian, my engineer, of it today, he was surprised. All the people in my family that have had it. But I, you know, I just, I guess you have to have faith. But you don't have to have stigma. I mean, my mom was a sweet, wonderful, loving, incredible person. So why would I ever want to associate such a negative word like stigma with her? I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to do that. 
So, you know, it is what it is. If you want to have, you want to deal with the stigma of it, you want to keep it all quiet and everything to each their own. Uh, to me, I I just don't think that's a good way to deal with it, but everybody's got to do what they got to do, you know. If you're embarrassed about it, I feel sorry for you. Be proactive. Get in a um, study. Do some things to change the world. Uh, be a part of some good stuff because, to me, that that releases the stigma. It gets rid of the embarrassment. It takes away a lot of the fear and the frustration that you might feel. You know, back to caring for somebody, we get frustrated. We want to change the diagnosis. We want to have them be at peace. We want to make sure that they're happy and and cared for. And as caregivers, we forget what we need. We forget the things that we have to do to keep our emotional state healthy. I tell people all the time that we go through a grieving process from the day we see the first symptom. And it continues to get worse uh, as we see more symptoms growing. We are in the sadness and anger stage when we get a diagnosis. And we work through all the stages of grief the whole time that we're living with this disease. I, you know, it brings me back to this funeral today. I don't know what to say to people when their person finally dies. I never really say, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I may be sorry that they had the disease and that the family had to go through the struggle that they had to go through, but I'm not sorry they're gone. When somebody is at the end of the line of this terrible, terrible dementia disease train, God bless them to get off. I mean, that's what I say. Find some happiness in all that and don't feel guilty about it. I mean, you know, I can say, gosh, yeah. what I actually do say is I say thank you for allowing me to assist your family on this journey. I appreciate you letting me be there for you and to assist you uh, with how you were going to live with it and to help her find a, a place that would care for her. And, uh, you know, today... Um, the care community people, Stacy Nasland at Spring Ridge, the executive director, she's been on the show before, and her nurse, Michelle, and her admin, Christina, I met them all there at the, at the funeral today. And it was great to hear the love from the family about how happy this woman was when she finally settled in there. You know, we had to go to a community that abused her first. And then I got her into Spring Ridge finally. But feeling guilty does nobody any good. Guilt on your heart and soul is way worse than eating cake. Right? I mean, seriously, eat the cake, buy the shoes. Guilt serves 
no one. Nobody gets better with guilt. Guilt drags you down like it's dragging you through the mud. Go away from that. Look for the happiness. You know, this particular person, uh, when I first met her in her condo, she she was upset with her daughters for having me come. She's fine. She can still drive. She can do this and that. And her daughters were just sure something was going on. They'd gotten a recent diagnosis, but she was in relatively early stage. This was six, seven years ago. And when she moved into... Spring Ridge, uh, she would go into the executive director, Stacy, and she'd say, this place is driving me crazy. And Stacy would say, all right, well, let's take Bear, her Labrador retriever, for a walk. Or Christina would take her for a drive to the bank and the post office and stuff like that. And she'd come back and she'd be fine. <laughs> and we were laughing about how much she loved to dance and how she found a good friend that she really connected with there. And just looking for that happiness, that joy that we can find in this disease process. You know, she she had a miserable time when she knew things were spinning out of control, but there is a time, there is always a time when the person is blissfully unaware. And man, am I happy about that. That's a That's a three margarita night right there when the person is blissfully unaware because then they get happy. They just kind of let things happen. They they are no longer impatient with you. They're just looking for love and fun and relaxation and all that kind of stuff. Um, And we should be looking for it too because there's a real sense of helplessness when... We don't know what to do when we don't know how to work with the person, when when their their scope of care is getting out of control for us. And, you know, sometimes there's resentment on how it affects your life. And we can be very reactive instead of active. There's no relaxation in sight. I mean, there is just no relaxation in sight. And we sometimes are overcome with sadness. These are all things that we feel. And how do we manage those? Well, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother subject. We can have more than one of these emotions at the same time. How do we deal with that? I'm going to talk about that after I take a short break. And listen to a word from my sponsor, Carillon, at Bellevue Station. Carillon at Bellevue Station is a residential community enriching the senior living experience. Our community, full of grandeur and elegance, is located near Cherry Hills, Colorado. We offer independent living and personalized assisted living services and an intimate, caring neighborhood for our residents with Alzheimer's and other dementias. A beautifully appointed spacious apartment, chef-prepared meals, transportation services, and a team devoted to your safety and wellness are what awaits you when you reside at Carillon at Bellevue Station. Call 720-440-8200 or visit Carillon at BellevueStation.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, so as I'm talking about this kind of list of things I made uh, for the 
caregiver support tool managing your emotions module. Um, it just got me to thinking that, you know, we hit a lot of these conflicting emotions at the same time. I mean, like you could have love and frustration. You can have anxiety and compassion. You can feel grief and happiness kind of at the same time. And if you're feeling one of those really intensely, that's where you need to take a break and walk away for a minute. That's where you need to find ways to release your stress. People think that emotions are good or bad. They're not. They're just emotions. But what we do with those emotions, how we parlay those into action, sometimes is what gets us in trouble. So if you're angry and you don't deal with it, that anger can grow to rage. You have to identify the emotions that you're feeling so that they don't get to a place of being catastrophic. How we handle them, you only have two choices, positively or negatively. And that's going to impact your person the same way. If you're feeling very negative about things, it's going to affect them negatively. They're going to feel that. They're going to embrace it. They're going to do the same thing with positivity. You know, these are the lives of the people that we love. So we have to be a little bit better in managing those emotions and what we're feeling because they're going to feed off of us. And a lot of things, a lot of things can affect your emotions. What kind of things could be contributing to the way you're feeling? I mean, it could be a lot of things. Was there, you know, heavy traffic today? Uh, did your person get up and, and did not have a good morning? Um, did you not sleep well last night? Did they not sleep well last night? Did the phone ring too early? Did the coffee maker not program your coffee and it wasn't ready when you got up? That happened to me this week, and I was not happy about that. That upsets me when my when I do something. <laughs> I know it's user error when it doesn't make my coffee, but um, I thought I hit the button that said auto, and apparently I didn't. I didn't have no coffee. Had to wait 15 minutes for it. That upsets me. I like to smell it, and I like to hear it percolating when I get up in the morning. Those are the kind of things that can make us crazy. Those are the things that make us feel frustrated. Those are the things that make us feel exhausted. And if you can try to understand the causes of your emotions, and instead of judging yourself on those emotions, just look at the curiousness of those emotions. Why are you so exhausted? Why are you so angry? What could you do to change that trajectory? 
What is contributing to you feeling angry? Saying it that way to yourself, what could be contributing to me feeling so angry today? Hmm, like the coffee, the traffic, the funeral, the new people with the diagnosis, the person that just died, blah, 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 right? I have a lot of reasons that I could be feeling that way, but it's better for me to say what could be contributing to me feeling angry or sad or frustrated today. It's more helpful than me scolding myself for feeling bad. You know, I shouldn't be feeling that way. I should be feeling more positively. I should be showing more compassion. I should be glad I have new clients. You know, I need to think about those kinds of things. And as you look at those kinds of things, what are some ways that you can include or exclude other people? So as... As an example, if you call some of your siblings or something like that, or you call good friends and you don't feel like they're supporting you, that's going to exponentially contribute to your sadness or your frustration or anger. On the way here, I happened to call my sister Sandy and had a nice, happy conversation with her. Hi, Sandy. I know she's always listening. And that put me back on the right track. That made me feel better. Uh, So all the stuff that was going on this morning, even being 45 minutes late to get to the studio because of the funeral, um, I still am feeling pretty good today. So we've got ways that we can address this stuff and manage our emotion. So if you don't have any family nearby to support you or or don't have any help with your person, make a list of the people who said that they would help you in the past and see if you can call them and put them on a schedule or something. There's lots of ways that people can add to your frustration. They're at odds on how to best support your person. Um... Maybe they live far away. Maybe you don't have a good relationship with the person with the diagnosis. And now they need your help more than ever. Roles have changed. You've always been the child of the person with the diagnosis or the spouse of the person with the diagnosis, and now that's changing. And there's tension because of the change changes. I mean, there just, there just is. What if you have a person that wanders all the time, gets up in the middle of the night? Uh, I was talking to a lady the other day who said that um, her husband hit her in the nose the other night. And I said, have you thought about maybe sleeping in another room? I I certainly would. We have to do certain things to make sure that we're safe. Other things that can bug you, maybe you're just feeling overwhelmed with all the responsibility that you now have to take on. It's making you feel sad. It's making you feel hopeless. 
you're feeling some depression, you have a, maybe you're sick, maybe you have a chronic condition yourself. Maybe you have pain somewhere in your body. Is anybody helping you? Is anybody doing anything for you? And with, oh my gosh, with all the responsibilities in your life, the things that are key to you being healthy, the way you live your life, exercise, nutrition, all of that has fallen off the priority list. So those are the things that can upset you. But after you've made this little mental list or you've written it down or whatever it takes, right? Ask yourself a couple questions. Why do I have no control over the situation? That's a good question. Why don't you have any control over the situation? If you can make a few notes on what that means to you, it could give you a, uh, maybe a path to changing that. And then ask yourself, what can you control about the situation? How can I influence or impact the situation? Is it doctor appointment? Is it getting caregivers to come in? Is it just doing some laundry for them? Is it just getting them a shower one day? The bottom line is we learned a long time ago that that people can't make us feel a certain way. We are in charge of our own emotions. So as you ask yourself questions like I just brought up, I mean, the bottom line is you can really only control how you think and how you react to situations. Are you reacting or are you acting? I mean, if you can realize that maybe there's a possibility that you can influence a situation in some positive way by just getting a couple of tasks done, we don't have to get the whole freaking world of tasks and activities of daily living done in one day, just do one or two things. Don't make your list so big. You know, maybe it's just getting that person dressed for the day. Maybe it's just getting to the doctor on time. Maybe it's just making a doctor appointment for six months away and that pisses you off. But now the four of the six months has gone by really fast. And there's only two more months left before you go. Kind of use this as an exercise, is what I'm trying to tell you, to figure out a way to train your brain to spend time focusing on what you can do. And like I said, worrying and guilt does a lot more damage than a hot fudge sundae and a piece of cake. I mean, we worry about our waistlines with sweet foods and fried chicken, but we don't take the time to really address how we're going to work on our brain on a daily basis. I do that every single day. I walk the walk. I really do. I start off every single morning weighing myself on a scale. I know they say you're not supposed to do that. Well, I say 
to hell with that. I get on the scale every single day to make sure I don't get out of my realm and start putting on a bunch of weight like I did in the past and get really unhealthy. I trained my brain to know what I can eat and what I can't eat in the course of a day. And it doesn't always have to be healthy food like kale. I hate kale. I'd rather be fat than eat kale, seriously. But I figured out a way to manage my emotions and try to live a good life. Right? I mean, that's the thing to do, right? So... If you can identify the way you're feeling, you can identify the, the adjectives around all that, the, the big list I started with, then you can start maybe journaling what you're feeling. That'll help you to manage your emotions. And it will help you really tune into your own emotional signals. When you write down what's going on and how you're feeling, you can tap into your emotions. If you need to, talk to a friend. Talk to a friend who can talk you down off the cliff once in a while. Get in a support group and make sure it's a, a happy one. Get help. If you need a, if you're struggling every single time you're in the room with the person, go to a psychologist. Go to somebody. Go to a priest. Go to whoever is... Um, able to help you, a social worker through the hospital or something, don't be afraid to ask. Because I'll tell you what, how many times do you hear from your family and friends, what can I do to help? Take them up on the offer. Let them help you. Be creative uh, about what you need. Somebody to, to cover you for an hour and what, take your person for a walk. Uh, do whatever you have to do to organize a team of people, even if they're just bringing over dinner or making coffee in the morning and bringing donuts. Who can help with carpool activities? And make sure that you have time to take a break. Respite care. For your person, for you, take a vacation for three, four days. Recharge those batteries. Not every break has to be a two-week-long vacation. Be heaven if it was. <laughs> it would be absolute heaven if we could just take a two-week vacation whenever we wanted to. Take little mini vacations. Be intentional with the breaks and the respite time that you take and the, and the people you ask for help. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of that person. And your attitude is everything. The one thing all of us can do is to be aware of how we think about an emotional situation. If you believe you have to do it all alone, you're going to be all alone. And you're going to feel like a failure. And you're going to think you can't manage things. You have to change your attitude to be emotionally healthy. Let things go. Don't let everything be a battle. Does it really matter? Does everything have to be so perfect all the time? Is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for perfection? You're never going to find it. Write yourself a list. Recognize your emotions. 
do yourself a favor and and tune in to those things that frustrate you and depress you, the things that make you happy, the make the things that make you feel compassion and love, and do the best you can to tap into those and try to be active, proactive, and not reactive. And I'll see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.